All right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com and also up on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and also some of the great podcasting platforms. If you missed any of the live broadcast, you can catch the recording there, but also at Spreaker.com. Just type in Alternate Current Radio in the search bar, and you'll come up with the Spreaker mothership that contains all of the great programming here on ACR, including this show, The Boiler Room, Jay's Analysis, and so many others. Joining me on the live link right now is correspondent for Press TV. You've probably seen a lot of his great informative videos over the last year. His name is Robert Inlakesh. He's joining us on the live link right now. Hello, Robert. How are you? And uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, been obviously a crazy week, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it has been a crazy two weeks, actually. <laughs> um, and I was really hoping, Robert, that we're going to have a quiet Christmas, a quiet New Year's, and we're all going to catch up on our, our reading and our studying so we can be prepared to tackle the issues of the world coming into 2020. But they didn't give us that free time, did they, Robert, on this occasion? Not really. <laughs> so, you, uh, so, so what was the atmosphere like in your newsroom? Because you know, you're really in the thick of it uh, there with Press TV, obviously covering the majority of Iranian issues internationally but uh how 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 were things was it was it really hectic uh on your end uh, the last two weeks yeah well of course we changed up our uh, programming and all sorts and we've been focusing on this uh every second of the day just about reporting everything that's happening and of course uh there's uh, a lot of iranians obviously that work in our office uh here in uh, the uk so uh it was of course a very like uh hard time for them. They didn't know what was going to happen exactly and were very concerned for their country uh, and for their wider region, uh, region as well because of what uh, could have transpired and still could happen. Uh, so yeah, it's been a bit hectic uh, around the office, of course, um, and things uh, don't seem to be getting any more clearer. So you said wider region. We're talking about Iran. We're talking about Iraq and directly involved already in this uh, situation. Syria, uh, Palestine, uh, Lebanon, uh, and Yemen, of course, but also the GCC countries. They're, they're, they would also be pulled into uh, any sort of escalation uh, that might involve the United States because of all the U.S. bases that are located in Bahrain, in Qatar, in Saudi Arabia, and all these various, uh, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and all these these facilities uh, in the region. So, you know, how, how does the results of what we have saw in the last week, how do you see this strategically? I wanted to get your opinion, Robert, on why the U.S. didn't retaliate after Iran launched its 22 missiles against the two U.S. bases in Iraq, because a lot of people were expecting the U.S. was going to retaliate. Donald Trump was on Twitter every five minutes. It seemed to be threatening, overwhelming force if if the Iranians dared, dared to retaliate after the assassination of General Soleimani and Commander al-Muhendas on the 3rd of January. Iran did respond, Robert, but that was it. Donald Trump came to the White House podium the next morning and said that there were zero casualties uh, of U.S. servicemen in these Iranian missile strikes, and the United States would be taking no action at this time. 
did hint that there might be something in the future, but for all intents and purposes at that moment, it was a stand down. Why was it a stand down, Robert? What do you what do you think? I think it was a planned stand down. I don't think that the United States were actually wanting after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani and uh, the Mohandas, they didn't want to engage in a full scale war. Um, and the reason I'm saying that uh, is because I believe this operation was carried out in order to do something a lot more strategic and do damage to Iran in a different way. I believe now. The plan is, one, that Trump will gain from this, uh, and two, that they will try and cause internal divisions in Iran to try and uh, heat up uh, tensions there and exploit that. The protest movement that was ongoing before the assassination of uh, Qasem Soleimani was heavily infiltrated by the MEK uh, and other groups. And there was a lot going on there, of course, uh, which I won't get on into uh, now. But the groundwork for this attack, which took place uh, killing uh, Qasem Soleimani, the legal strike, uh, came a lot earlier. Uh, and I'm going to bring it back now to October of last year, when uh, the Israelis for the Jerusalem Post, the Jerusalem Post wrote a uh, report in which they named the top three people who would be on a potential Israeli kill list. This is, of course, not proof in of itself of anything because the Israelis would want these people dead. I'm just uh, saying this because this outlines uh, the high profiles of all these people and what threat they pose to Israel according to them. Number one, uh, and this is in no particular order, on the list was a man named Baha Abu Atta. Uh, the next was Qasem Soleimani and Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah. Now, two of them are dead. In November, after this article came out, in November, the Israelis launched a targeted assassination, a strike, which killed Baha Abu Atta in the Gaza Strip. He was the lead general of Islamic Jihad. He was very respected in Gaza, and to the Gazans, he wasn't exactly, he didn't have the status of uh, Qasem Soleimani, but to Gazans, he was like a Qasem Soleimani. He was uh, sort of seen to be, even though he was with uh, Islamic Jihad and worked alongside Hamas, wasn't exactly with them. So he had a lot of respect even for people who weren't supporters of Hamas or Islamic Jihad in Gaza. When they killed him, the Israelis expected that maybe one of two things would happen, that there would be a huge uh, full-scale war, or maybe they could de-escalate. And what ended up happening after a few hundred rockets were fired, most of them fireworks, but some of them got past Tel Aviv, is that Hamas didn't join in and there was sort of almost, uh, you know, they ended the retaliation to Baha Abu Atta's assassination there. Also, throughout last year, the Israelis were striking Syria without a response. Uh, time and time again, they struck Syria, doing great damage to their air defense systems, not striking Iran like they were claiming. Uh, these strikes were aimed at the Syrian Arab army. They were aimed at uh, sometimes Hezbollah, um, and smaller groups. And Syria didn't respond. Syria didn't uh, hit them back for it. Um, and also on top of that, when they had the small exchange which occurred between Hezbollah and uh, Israel after Israel flew uh, what seemed to be, appeared to be loitering munitions or suicide drones of some description into uh, southern Lebanon, uh, Hezbollah's response was very calculated. Of course, they pulled off their response uh, attacking an Israeli vehicle, uh, and we can clearly see it was a direct hit and there was deaths. But uh, the Israelis pulled it off to their people. Netanyahu looked like, you know, we basically there was no uh, no one killed. And so what they found is that they could uh, they could commit these sort of acts uh, and they could commit these sort of acts of aggression against uh, what's called the axis of resistance. Many people at this show will know what that means, headed up by Iran. And that the responses would be proportionate and that actually uh, some of the rhetoric would suggest, you know, that maybe uh, and the way it's portrayed to us in the West that, you know, they're just all crazy and they're terrorists and they want to kill everyone. But the fact of the matter is they're very strategic and Iran's strike was just that. 
it struck uh, two U.S. facilities. Um, it was very strategic. They hit their targets. They sent a strong message to the United States about their capabilities. But what it was is that a lot of the people in the region wanted to see blood actually spilt over this. And the U.S. were betting on that uh, Iran would act rationally and that it would. This is my opinion that they betted on they would act rationally. And then by the United States sort of pulling out of it and seeming like, you know, they assassinated to them who, uh, a man who was a terrorist and a bunch of terrorist forces. Uh, they got Iran's top guy. They, uh, they uh, you know, didn't escalate and cause a war like the media was telling everyone would happen in the United States. And uh, Donald Trump eventually will probably withdraw his forces from Iraq. He will be forced from Iraq. And it's just the plane incident right now that is sort of uh, slowing that process down. But I believe that Donald Trump will probably most likely try and withdraw his troops from Iraq. So in terms of uh, them trying to cause uh, an impact on Iran, the sanctions weren't uh, working to destroy Iran. The protests, which they got heavily involved in, um, according to all evidence, uh, the MEK was heavily involved in it. Um, wasn't working to take down the Iranian government. So they tried to uh, commit an act which would uh, hopefully, in their opinions, divide people ultimately uh, because of the way they could play it off. Initially, it united everyone. And now they're trying to do what they can to divide not only uh, Iran from its regional allies, but also Iran internally and try and cause problems there. That's what they're playing at. And that's the game that they're playing at now with their propaganda machine uh, and trying to sow sort of the seeds of dissent in a lot of people by showing, oh, look, Iran stood down. And that's what they're trying to play, that Iran stood down, when in fact that wasn't actually the case. I believe this is the strategy of the United States. And just now we've received, and um, I know that you just reported on this as well, that Israel uh, supplied the uh, intelligence for this uh, ad attack. And it also uh, supplied the, uh, the initial, uh, let's say, uh, testing grounds, uh, which was in the Gaza Strip, Syria and Lebanon, for what would happen in this scenario. And because the Israelis were involved in this, you saw that... Uh, Netanyahu instantly sort of tried to distance himself when he was actually fearing that the Iranian response may get larger. And the Israelis got a bit scared about that. Now it's all coming out that the Israelis were, in fact, directly involved, it seems, um, and that uh, perhaps the Israelis uh, had a, a much uh, deeper role in this uh, than we can see. And of course, Netanyahu has his elections coming up in March as well. So he will probably try and get in on this in any way he can. Uh, when he sees that things have sort of calmed down a little bit. And so he will try and capitalize on that. And we might see that in terms of uh, strikes on Syria, Israel striking Syria. We had some reports, but I believe the Syrian government have disputed the accounts that uh, the Israelis had struck Abu Kamal, which is along the Iraqi-Syria border inside of uh, uh, Syria. Sorry. Um, so I think this is a very calculated uh, and careful plan, which has been implemented. Donald Trump, I don't believe, is smart enough to do this. I, I think he's a monumental moron, uh, and he doesn't really uh, decide these things. But I think the neoconservatives in his government behind him and some of these hardline Zionists as well uh, have been waiting for this to happen. It's a very hawkish move that they committed, and I think they're trying to play this off in order. And th this plain uh, scenario has fallen into their hands. Uh, and they are really trying their best to exploit it and cause divisions inside of Iran. But this will very likely uh, backfire on the United States and Israel if they take one move in the wrong direction.
Yes, and when when you say axis of resistance, just to uh, to let people know, my understanding of that, Robert, is the axis of resistance is a pan Arab block and Persia. So this is uh, Iran, uh, Iraq, and elements within Iraq that are allied with Iran, of course, uh, and also Syria, Hezbollah, uh, part of Lebanon as well. You can include Palestine mm-hmm. as well, of course, naturally, uh, and any other allies uh, that might come into the fore. Uh, with regards to that that group of countries, is that is that a, a fair definition of the axis of resistance? Yes, uh, l- like you described it, it's sort of a regional uh, alliance, sort of led by Iran. You could say the Quds forces are sort of seen to be the head of it um, against uh, U.S. Uh, regional hegemony and, of course, the Israelis and what they're doing. Uh, and you know, the ideology behind it is you know liberating their lands and getting the people out. Uh, of uh, their countries and, you know, stopping from pe- people from bombing them and destroying their countries uh, through all the different tactics that they've employed all over. I mean, uh, it, this, I, I believe, was very, very uh, planned and, and it's uh, it's been strategically done. And right now, uh, initially what we saw is uh, that a lot of people, the the emotions were heightened. So a lot of people came together. There was a lot of alliances formed. Uh, and uh, groups like, for instance, Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip, uh, because their uh, backer is Iran, and that's their sort of sole backer is Iran, uh, wanted to fire immediately into Israel in retaliation uh, for the uh, assassination of Qasem Soleimani. But it was Hamas, when they went to Hamas, that told them, uh, stay calm and let's do this together and let's unite and make sure that everyone goes together and they can't sort of, uh, you know, defeat us by dividing us into blocks and focusing attention on things here and there. Uh, I think the big speed bump in this all has been uh, in terms of Iran employing a strategy to combat this uh, move of aggression, this strategy, this chess game that they're uh, engaged in with Iran, uh, which could result in a cataclysmic war in the region, a huge paroxysm. Uh, occurring uh, throughout. Um, I think Iran really uh, has to deal with this situation with the airliner being shot down. I think that's uh, sort of key to it uh, right now. And uh, the U.S. is going to play everything it can into this. And of course, we've seen Donald Trump jumping on a few protests. A few of them had 100 people, a few hundred people. Some had a few thousand people. And suddenly, uh, you know, Ignore France, ignore uh, what's happening in Gaza. Um, you know, nothing's happening there, apparently, according to the media. But this is, you know, this is them calling for the regime to change and therefore justification for any support the United States may offer to them. And we saw that in Pompeo's speech, actually. Um, Pompeo, when he announced the new sanctions, uh, spoke about backing Iran's protests. And it's funny because when he said that, when he delivered that speech, there was actually no protests at that time. He said, we will continue to back Iran's protests. And when I heard him say that, I had a suspicion that something was going to start again. Not to say that people don't have real emotions for this. Of course they do. And people are very angry and they don't know what's happened with the airliner. It's a very tragic scenario. But I do believe that the United States is going to get in on this uh, in any way they possibly can at the moment. Um, and now it's uh, we're just sort of sort of waiting to see what uh, Iran's strategy is and what they're going to play at this in order to uh, de-escalate uh, in terms of what's happening internally uh, and what the United States is plotting against them. 
I'm going to have to agree with you on on the protest, Robert. It looks very staged to me. And uh, what what you just pointed out, I think, was a big clue. Of course, Pompeo gave the game away a little bit. I I don't. I think this is what I think happened. And when I saw the British ambassador out there, you know, uh, doing the the virtue signaling, and he got arrested, made a big deal about it on social media. Everyone was uh, passing those photos around. Rob McCarr is his name, I believe. Uh, normally, diplomats, uh, it's not their job to get involved in protests. In fact, that's the, the one thing you don't want to do if you're an ambassador of a country is to go out there. Uh, this is what Robert Ford uh, basically got the, you know, the, the, the U.S. kicked out of Syria for d- being directly involved uh, in, with the Free Syrian Army and all of these so-called uprisings early on. Um, Victoria Newland did the same thing in Kiev and and so many other examples of this is just not the right thing to do. They thought, I think this was going to take off. I think what happened, Robert, and you can tell me what your opinion is. My, uh, my, my analysis of this looks like they planned to, to, to do these protests, uh, f- for a while now. They, they kicked them off through whoever agents they have on the ground, agents of influence. And I saw, cause the slogans as well were death to liars and so forth. I don't think they were expecting Iran to come out to say to apologize so er, so early. You know, some people would say that they should have apologized or said that it could have been an accident earlier, but whatever it it happened the way it did. But they did make this public statement saying that this is a you know we hugely regret what happened. This looks like it's been an accident. I think that took the wind out of America's uh, or the clandestine effort to make these protests into some grand uprising uh that iran actually beat them just slightly beat them to the punch there what, what do you think um i think in terms of what's happened i mean um unfortunately what happened with uh iran is they came out and they said that there were uh they sort of said with conviction that there was no missile that shot it down uh, and then they changed their story and the, the thing is that they've admitted it they've done uh you know the adult thing and they've said exactly what happened there um, and there's still people there. They have question marks around uh, these. Uh, what are they book uh, M1 uh, air defense systems because of the fact that uh, Israel was given the codes to these systems quite some time ago. Um, so there's still some questions around that that people are passing around. But it seems that Iran are just saying uh, that this is what was a mistake uh, and that uh Unfortunately, people came out um, and they didn't listen to Ayatollah Khamenei, who said initially, uh, this is what we're hearing anyway. Uh, he told everyone to say, uh, you know, just to either be quiet or to say what happened initially when they found out what happened. Uh, but people sort of jumped it. And the U.S. has jumped on this and tried to paint Iran as being some sort of uh, foul player, as a liar. I mean, they ju- they've just came out and said in front of the world, we did it. Now, that looks like sometimes that can be very embarrassing for people. And they've came out and they've said it and they've admitted it because it's the truth. Like, and they shot it down. Their, their systems had shot down the plane. Um, but the United States, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It's like the strike on the U.S. bases. It doesn't matter what the truth is. It's what the narrative is, which may, most of the people are made to believe. It's the same thing with the arresting of the ambassador. Uh, even the U.K. is, you know, they're not wanting some sort of retaliation. But if you look at uh, everyone, I, I believe it was 
Emily Thornbury that went on to, uh, I can't remember, some show on the BBC. And she was questioned about it. And they're like, well, what's the retaliation? What's the retaliation? Um, <laughs> and they're asking all of them in the conservatives as well. There's been a few conservative politicians who've went on, uh, you know, the public radio. And they've been asking them, what's the response? What's the response? What's the response? It's like you're in so incredibly hawkish on this issue at such a, you know, a, a hostile time. The media is even more hawkish than the damn government and the politicians in the UK, it seems. Um, and whatever happens, they use it as propaganda. I mean, these 170 plus people have been killed in a tragic, what seems to be accident. You know, this they're being used. Their lives are being used as tools of the US empire and propaganda. And that's what's so disgusting about this is that Canada that the United States, the Britain and the media are attached to these uh, entities as well, are using this in order to beat down and try and run regime change in Iran. This is a tragic uh, scenario where people have lost their lives. Do you not have any sympathy for these people? You know, th this is the thing that's really disturbed me because uh, people around my office have actually, actually know some of the people who are on board of the plane. Um, and, you know, have some respect for the people that died and don't pump it for the media as a tool to use against Iran. And that's what they're doing. Um, and yeah. it just shows how disgraceful the reporting is on this. You know, it's like the reporting on Qasem Soleimani. There was no questions asked about Qasem Soleimani and who he was. And, you know, nobody knew who he was before in the West, before he was assassinated. And they completely omitted the fact that not only did he defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda, helped defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda inside of Syria and Iraq, he actually, the PMU, at the time the PMU were fighting Daesh in Iraq, the United States were actually running an air operation at the same time. So even by their own words, they were supporting a terrorist. So they are implicated in terrorism whatever way you spin this. And even according to their own words and their, whatever they're saying. But of course, Qasem Soleimani was no terrorist and they know this and they know that he was defeating uh, Daesh and that he was a force in the Middle East for stability. And he brought stability to places like uh, Halab, Aleppo and in uh, Syria. And of course, the people on the opposition side in terms of uh, their view on Syria will disagree with it. But other than that, can you point to anything else? And, and, and here's a claim that they give about Qasem Soleimani, by the way, the media, to paint him as a terrorist, that he was re responsible for what they're trying to say is 1,500 uh, murders of the protesters in Iran. Uh, I don't That's completely just made up figure, but I mean, um, and the US always change it all the time. But the Quds force, which he operates the reason why Qasem Soleimani was such a loved figure is because he operated uh, outside of the country. He, the Quds Force is a force which uh, deals with uh, the foreign countries and foreign operations. And so Qasem Soleimani trying to tie him specifically to killing 1,500 demonstrators, as they claim, which is, of course, a, a ridiculous number, which is invented by the United States and changes every single, uh, like, every few minutes when they have some sort of conference, they always change the numbers. Uh, one minute Trump's saying a few hundred, then he says 1,500. Um, so that this is the sort of way the propaganda machine works. It smears the dead. It justifies, uh, justifies and propagates points so that uh, illegal actions can be taken, like these drone strikes. And, and it also justifies uh, supporting regime change movements inside of different countries, like we've seen inside of Syria. It's the exact same plane book. We've seen the same thing in the buildup to Iraq and in Syria inside of Iran now, whether it be the internal protests that they're supporting, and, and I assume they'll be trying to make these protests more violent, 
uh, or in terms of justifying the killing of Qasem Soleimani, it's the same thing that we've seen with Libya, Iraq, uh, Syria, and of course uh, Afghanistan. The same propaganda. It, it works the exact same way every single time. And the media, they just have no no shame, it seems. They just do the same thing time and time again. Well, uh, they're... The, they are milking the, the plane crash, as you said, and they're doing it for one specific reason, which is to sort of conceal what just happened uh, only days before, that the U.S. ordered a double assassination of military leaders of two sovereign nation states and U.N. member states, So and, and did this by basically evading uh, U.S. Congress and Senate and still won't answer any questions as to uh, providing intelligence that was supposedly the pretext for uh, taking that action. So this this tragedy has provided a great distraction that they're all milking the Western media, Western politicians, and it is pretty shameless, as you said. Uh, but I'm going to do one better for you, Robert, here, because, you know, it was only a matter of time before Donald Trump got the recognition he deserved uh, for America's military exploits over the last two weeks, and it just turns out uh, only two days ago, Trump received glowing praise from the official international ISIS newspaper, Al-Naba, <laughs> highlighting specifically Washington's assassination of uh, General Qasem Soleimani. They thank God, according to ISIS, that the U.S. and Iran are busy targeting each other and, uh, and, and really just heaping praise on Trump. They didn't use his name specifically, but it was pretty clear who they were talking about. So Donald Trump has gotten great praise from ISIS over this. And, you know, if that doesn't just tell the whole story of what we're looking at here, I really don't know what does. You couldn't make this up. But yet, mm -hmm. there we have it. Right there in print. I think they, they should just go ahead and remove uh, Daesh as a registered terrorist organization. I mean, they're clearly allies, and that's what it is, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's just laughable that this came out, to be honest. Didn't the United States just kill uh, uh, Baghdadi? Didn't that just happen? Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, like, they're a tool of the United States and always have been, regardless of whether these brainwashed people uh, inside of Daesh actually believe that they're against the United States or something like that. Um but, like, I mean, look, Daesh as well are, are all but finished. But, you know, the claim that the United States has as well, when it says we've defeated 100% of its caliphate, like, uh, well, you helped train all of these people in places like Kampuka. You're the one that created the pretext for it happening in the environment in which uh, Daesh could be uh, brought to fruition. And then on top of that, it was the Syrian Arab army, it was the PMU, and it was all of, uh, and it was Russia. Uh, and its allies, Hezbollah and others, who defeated Daesh. They're the ones. The ones that the United States is calling terrorists right now are the ones that have feed, defeated terrorism in the region. Um, and now we see stability in all of the places which have been liberated by these forces. We don't see just random suicide bombings going off by the PMU every other day, blowing people up or forcing them to live under these uh, horrible uh, you know, subhuman standards uh, like we see with Daesh and the Al-Qaeda groups, which uh, the United States continually funds uh, inside of Syria and keeps there as its uh, proxy forces. We don't see that. I mean, the United States is laughable, but the, the most laughable thing about all of this is the media, the way they hype it up, 
uh, and the propaganda machine uh, behind the U.S.'s actions, Israel's actions, France and the U.K.'s actions, because in the region, they, you know, Iran doesn't have the right, apparently, to respond proportionately, even with what it did, um, which didn't, uh, as far as we are, have any evidence for, didn't kill any U.S. troops. They're not allowed to do that, but the U.S. is allowed to commit illegal drone strikes in a country which they invaded. Uh, first, they uh, bombed it, destroyed its infrastructure, killed hundreds of thousands of people, sanctioned it, killed 800,000 children uh, because of the sanctions. Then they went in and removed the government, and then they installed a new government. ISIS came, and then they were obliterating everything. They provided all of this. So the whole thing which is created in that country is because of the United States. They're still in there since 2003. They're still there, and they committed an illegal drone strike with no permission from the Iraqi authorities and their sovereign soil and kill uh, a lead general, the lead general of another foreign country, and that's not uh, subjected to any sort of condemnation. It's just how we did it and what timing we did it, and Donald Trump did it. That's the only thing you can find wrong because, unfortunately, we have this Orientalist worldview that's pushed onto us since birth inside of the uh, inside of the West, where we think that you know these people subconsciously, deep down, we believe these people are different to us, and that we have the power to exert uh, military action in these places, and we can be beyond the law. And the law doesn't apply to the United States. It doesn't apply apply to the United Kingdom, the rest of Europe. It doesn't apply uh, to Israel. It only applies to those you know Arab countries or those third world countries. It only applies to Venezuela, and we'll use it against Venezuela when it's not even the case and lie about it. Um, you know. And this entire scenario that we have right now is because of the propaganda machine that's allowed it to happen, allowed it to operate and allowed these politicians to continually get votes regardless of what they do and the people to remain in the governments. Um, and the way that they portrayed it all, I mean, time and time again, when are we going to stop believing all, the, all of these lies? When are we going to stop believing the propaganda? I mean, people are starting to break ranks with what's happening. But Donald Trump has drawn in this big crowd of people that really believe this rhetoric. And now he's the new hero for them. And they keep doing that time and time again and duping us with new politicians, new faces and putting the same propaganda forth. And we eat it up every single time. Iraq, Libya, Afghanistan. You know, we were trained to hate the, hate the people of Vietnam. We were trained to hate the Japanese. We were trained to hate the Koreans. Whenever they want to go to war with some place, whenever they want to justify it, they have to dehumanize the people. They have to uh, apply double standards. And in order to keep that going as well, that's it's just flat out racism. The fact that we even have a question in the Middle East of why Iran should not have a nuclear weapon. That's none of your damn business unless you're going after Israel, which is in the region, sitting on around 300 nuclear weapons, as far as uh, we have information uh, to believe, up to 300 nuclear weapons. And Iran's not allowed to have one. Why? Because they're Muslim. Why? Because they're, you know, they're brown people. Is that why they can't have nuclear weapons? Uh, why, what justification? Like, the Israel doesn't have to sign the non-proliferation agreement. And why is it, if you imagine if Iran assassinated a top general of uh, the United States, the response that would come and what people would say about it. Now, Iran no. has actual justification of calling a lot of generals in the U.S. Army and the things that they've done uh, terrorists and saying that they've committed terrorist acts because, in fact, they have in the various countries that they've invaded and killed. But would that mean that Iran just has free reign to do it against international law and, and assassinate those generals? Like, well, people would be outraged. Yeah, the problem is we don't we don't really have any national heroes like that in America. And as the uh, Iranian cleric uh, remarked earlier this, last week, that the only heroes America really has are Spider Man and SpongeBob. 
which uh, which presents a kind of a problem for Iran. Even if they wanted to retaliate, they're going to have um, problems uh, finding uh, t- you know the, the their opposites there. So I, he's having a joke, obviously, but but he's kind of it, it, you know Donald Trump tweets out in Farsi because there's a, a few hundred protesters out yesterday uh, in Tehran, but you know five seven million people come out for the, 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 the funeral to pay their respects to Qasem Soleimani. And, of course, that doesn't register on the U.S. radars because, obviously, they're, they're trying to play a game here. Uh, and I think people are becoming quite wise to the game now. Uh, the propaganda just doesn't have the legs that it once has because everybody has seen this process over and over again by now. So they're not getting the results, I think, that they... Are going they were expecting to get so it's just going to mean more stalemate going forward uh, unless somebody changes tact and I don't think uh, the people in the Middle East uh, are going to do that Robert but um, we've only got a minute left uh, so we just wanted to say any any last words uh, before we go on this um, again I want to reiterate the point that uh, what what I believe has happened in the region and this has came from multiple sources uh, inside of Gaza Iran uh, and also in Syria that uh, believe this, uh, is that this was all a a plan that was not intended to create an all-out war in the region like it could have escalated into, and the Israelis and the Americans with this wanted to cause internal division. That wasn't a plan to cause a big war. It wasn't a mistake that they did this. It wasn't just a rash decision in the middle of the night. This was very calculated, and this has been done in order to try and weaken and destroy Iran. And the the Gaza Strip is the testing ground for everything else that we'll see them implement in the rest of the Middle East. And when they killed Baha Abu Atta, that was uh, one of the tests. And uh, they've been testing Syria and the rest of the axis of resistance as well to see what would happen. And I believe that's what they've implemented here. And I believe they're trying to weaken Iran and uh, completely change uh, Iran's government, uh, another regime change operation that they're trying to implement. And I believe it will backfire um, and that Iran uh, most likely will be very ready for this. And uh, there's a lot more to to come, even if it's something big doesn't happen in the next few days or even weeks. Uh the operation is never going to stop. They're going to continue going uh, against Iran and weakening it and trying to change its government. Yeah, and Iraq too, dividing Iraq and trying to change, which they've nearly done, Absolutely. change the leadership there. So keep an eye. Iraq is so important in this story. Uh, it's always been uh, the key to the region. They're separating uh, the, the Arab national states and the Middle East there from from uh, Central Asia. So this is Iraq has always been that battleground. So we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, you can check out, Robert, where can we find uh, your your various reports for Press TV? Um, YouTube is one of the uh, good venues for that, but also uh, Facebook as well. Yeah, so Press TV UK, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, we have a Twitter account. I have my own personal Twitter account. I put out a lot of stuff that I do on Press TV there and do elsewhere on there as well. I give a lot of updates on my Facebook and on my Twitter, on my own YouTube as well, where I give a bit longer uh, analysis into these scenarios as they sort of happen and I receive any information on them and I write for various different outlets as well. Um, so any of those places, um, you'll find, uh, my reports and, uh, my takes on what's happening. Yeah. Check out Robert's uh, reporting there on social media. If you want more in-depth analysis, 
uh, see his videos on Facebook, but also up on YouTube as well. And great, great dynamic reports as well for Press TV explaining the idiosyncrasies of some of these issues and the media coverage as well. Robert's uh, one of the leading uh, people in that department uh, at the moment. So, But uh, thank you very much uh, for your time, Robert, and we hope to speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Robert Inlakesh. Uh, he is a correspondent for Press TV in the UK. And you can uh, check out some of the links on the show page uh, to his channels and his social media feeds. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to connect our roving correspondent for culture and sport. On the other side, Basil Valentine here on the Sunday Wire. Again, I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Stick around. We will be right back. Fool me once. Shame on Shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. And one of the things that I've used on the Google is uh, to pull up maps. I have filters on internets. In- 